0: Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. In this episode, we step into the heat of battle and learn about the pivotal battle of Dien Bien Phu. This battle would reshape East Asia and remains a landmark event in Vietnamese history. The Battle of Dien Bien Phu would demonstrate the tenacity and determination the Vietnamese people possessed. Lessons that should have been learned from this battle were not. This shocking victory was as unexpected as it was complete. The Vietnamese annihilated the arrogant French forces. But why were the French even there? Today, we remember the Vietnam War and associate the nation with American intervention and failure. But the West has been involved with Vietnam for centuries, and the Vietnamese people have a long history of resistance and revolution against occupying powers. Let's explore this pivotal battle and key chapter in the history of Vietnam. It was 1862, and the crown jewel of the French Empire was Indochina, modern-day Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam. Its rubber and rice trade made the French fabulously wealthy. Rubber became an increasingly important commodity as the decades wore on and it became crucial to the production of automobiles, which exploded at the turn of the 20th century. The French would embed themselves deeply in the region over the decades they controlled it. The French language still remains widely spoken and the influence of French cuisine is present in many iconic Vietnamese dishes. Yet this came at the cost of Vietnamese religion, culture and language, which were stamped out. French schools brought French culture to Vietnam and traditional values were discarded and ignored. The very architecture of Vietnam would change, with temples being left to decay and French-style buildings and churches built in their place. The conflict preceding the Battle of Dien Bien Phu was not the first time the Vietnamese had resisted French occupation. In the 1880s, there was a large-scale resistance movement that would be quelled, but the nationalist flame was never truly extinguished. Vietnam's desire for freedom remained fervent. Owing to the underlying nationalist sentiment, patriotism amongst the Vietnamese people was harshly suppressed, the French even banning the use of the word Vietnam. Having divided the nation into three provinces seeking to weaken the organisation of the people they ruled over, the French grip on Vietnam tightened as profits increased. By 1930, Vietnam accounted for 5% of the world's rubber product. The newfound need for this material, driven by the explosion of the automobile, made the French capitalists and investors enormously wealthy as they profited from the near-slave labour of the local Vietnamese people. Fifteen-hour days of back-breaking farm labour and payment in rice made for appalling conditions and no chance for social advancement for the plantation workers. A ghastly statistic illustrative of how brutal conditions were can be found in the annals of the Michelin Tyre Company's history. In the 20 years between the two world wars, a Michelin rubber plantation recorded 17,000 deaths. To make matters worse, the rice wine and rice itself, traditionally grown and brewed by the Vietnamese people, were privatised under French monopolies and sold back to the Vietnamese people at massively inflated prices. Their land, livelihoods and the very food they ate were taken by the French for profit. Immense resentment towards the French grew with every year, with every death and with every grain of Vietnamese rice sold to benefit France. When France was conquered by Nazi Germany in World War II, its colonial territories were left adrift. The puppet French government put in place by the Nazis handed Vietnam over to the rapidly expanding Japanese Empire. The Japanese initially left the French governors in charge of Vietnam, deploying the same light touch the French used, never deploying more than 35,000 men to control the entire nation. Japan controlled Vietnam in name only, simply using its resources as a staging ground. But these brief five years of Japanese control would see the US involve itself in Vietnam. Early American forays into Vietnam would be far different to what would come later, with the CIA's predecessor, the Office of Strategic Services, ...training Viet Minh rebels who were fighting the Japanese. The United States would work with, train and equip... ...the man who would become its enemy only a few decades later, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh is a pivotal character in the Dien Bien Phu story. Born in 1890 in central Vietnam... ...his father would refuse a post with the French administration giving Ho Chi Minh a taste for rebellion from an early age, lighting a nationalist fire within him. Yet, like so many other Vietnamese children, he would be educated through a French school. In the 1920s, after years working odd jobs, Ho Chi Minh made it to France, where his early interest in politics ignited into an all-consuming passion. He dived into the Vietnamese nationalist movement in France and began working for a nationalist newspaper. At the negotiations of the Treaty of Versailles, the treaty that ended World War I, Ho Chi Minh and his comrades attempted to get Vietnamese independence on the agenda, but failed. Yet this work positioned Ho as a prominent Vietnamese nationalist figure. Many believe that if Woodrow Wilson, the American president, had taken Ho seriously that he would never have become a communist and perhaps been able to cooperate with America in the decades to come. But it was not to be. He would instead become interested in Marxism and soon come to believe that it was the way forward for Vietnam. This would take him to Moscow where he would spend years studying at military academies preparing himself to take communism to Vietnam and secure its freedom. In 1941, Ho would make his return to his beloved Vietnam and would soon see success with guerrilla war campaigns against both the French and the occupying Japanese. In 1945, following the August Revolution, Ho Chi Minh's Viet Minh took control of North Vietnam having finally thrown out the French and Japanese. For the first time in centuries, North Vietnam was free and independent with Ho Chi Minh as president. Yet no other nation would recognise Vietnam as a legitimate country. Ho would repeatedly write to Harry Truman, mentioning the American Revolution and American values of freedom, humbly asking for support in aspiring to the same dreams the Founding Fathers had, but he was ignored. The Vietnamese Declaration of Independence contained echoes of the American Declaration of Independence. Despite these clear similarities and overtures, Vietnam's fight for freedom was not recognised by the world. This was made clear when, despite a Vietnamese government existing in the North, Britain, who controlled the South, saw to it that the nation was divided. France's control of Vietnam was still recognised, and the Allied forces helped it reassert control. Yet they could not wrench the North from the Viet Minh. The French would never rule North Vietnam again. The Viet Minh did not surrender the South without a fight. A brutal guerrilla conflict was fought for years. Ho Chi Minh had no desire to fight the French, having made repeated requests to the recovering French government for cooperation, but these requests were ignored. In 1949, the guerrilla campaign exploded into outright conflict, with the Viet Minh now supported by communist China and the Soviet Union. The French refused to use metropolitan French troops recruited from major cities like Paris to maintain support for what came to be known as the Dirty War. French colonial troops from across Africa were used as they were seen as more disposable. Colonial troops from one end of the flagging French Empire were brought in to suppress a colony on the other side of the globe. The First Indochina War had begun and this dirty war would live up to the name. It would embarrass France and cause huge loss of life. Initially, the French would find success but the Viet Minh would organise throughout the early 1950s and by 1952 they had forced a stalemate after going on the offensive and driving back the French. At the same time, the Cold War began to colour this conflict. Asia looked to be where the Cold War would turn hot, particularly as the Korean War was raging on at the same time. The US took a hard-line approach to the Viet Minh, seeing their communist beliefs as a clear threat. In 1950, the US would begin to supply the French with the latest military hardware, including napalm. As the war ground on, the relentless raids and guerrilla strikes by the Viet Minh had begun to exhaust the French forces. They were eager to force the Viet Minh into pitched battle and altered their strategy to force battles on their terms. The French came off better in these more conventional attacks. This combined with a series of failed or blunted Viet Minh offensives throughout 1952 and 1953 to break the stalemate and hand the initiative to the French. But the war was increasingly becoming unpopular in France and the French command was beginning to learn what the US would come to learn. Victory was impossible. By April of 1953, General Navarre would tell the French government that the best they could hope for was a stalemate, yet the war ground on. In 1954, a death blow would be dealt to the exhausted and increasingly unwilling French army. The Viet Minh would exploit the French strategy of forcing pitched battle and deal a decisive blow. The French aggressively established a base far in the north of Vietnam, along the border with Laos, in an isolated but strategically important town. They were looking to cut off Viet Minh supplies. The town was surrounded by rugged, heavily forested mountains. The French set up their base near the town of Dien Bien Phu. The base they built could only be supplied by air, It was well beyond the French lines and presumed inaccessible by heavy equipment. The French quickly dropped supplies, built a runway and began fortifying the area. The operations launched were part of a rethink by General Navarre, who was appalled by the lack of long-term planning by previous commanders. The French had no clear idea of how they were going to win the war. They simply wanted to avoid being totally embarrassed or killed. Dien Bien Phu would be key in turning this attitude around and hopefully mark a decisive French victory. Earlier success with a similar plan, where the French created bases that were thorns in the sides of the Viet Minh, convinced Navarre to go ahead with their most ambitious base yet in Dien Bien Phu what now seems utter folly building a base deep behind enemy lines had been working for the french however the french also failed to account for key issues at dien bien phu the air base they created was surrounded by a valley giving an attacker the high ground this was dismissed as the French did not believe heavy artillery could be brought into the rugged valley. Secondly, the Viet Minh had learned their lessons. They would not make the same mistakes that had led to defeat in the past. The French were underestimating their enemy and would soon pay the price. Finally, and perhaps most crucially, the French airfields at these bases had never been knocked out. Supplies and troops flowed freely The commander of the Viet Minh forces Vo Nguyen Giap is regarded as one of the 20th century's great military strategists General Giap never received formal military training and was a history teacher Nevertheless this proved good training Giap would always learn from the mistakes of the past and would not be making the same mistakes at Dien Bien Phu He would send scouts into the valley and began constructing artillery positions. All that remained was for Jap to get the heavy guns up the rugged, muddy, treacherous terrain, a feat the French thought impossible. Through bitter determination, sheer will and burning passion, the Viet Minh would haul these cumbersome, many-ton artillery pieces up the side of a mountain and into position. It cannot be understated just how incredible this feat was. It was a triumph of will and showed just how far and to what superhuman feats the Vietnamese people were willing to go to win their freedom. Soon the French were surrounded by Vietnamese artillery positions stocked full of ammo. At the same time, trenches were being dug around the valley and distracting raids launched on the French position. The French remained deeply confident, unaware they were fish in a barrel. When the Vietnamese artillery opened up, it outnumbered the French artillery four to one, possessed the high ground and knew exactly where the French guns were. The French couldn't believe their eyes as their base was ripped apart by Vietnamese shells. They would respond by establishing makeshift fortifications on the outskirts of their position and attempt to knock out the devastating Vietnamese artillery. These makeshift forts would be named after the French commander's former mistresses. This was only the beginning of a months-long battle but the artillery advantage would prove decisive as waves of Viet Minh infantry crashed against the French position and slowly wore it away. The 13,500 French soldiers faced down nearly 50,000 Viet Minh soldiers. The makeshift bases would fall one by one as the Viet Minh overwhelmed the French position with waves of infantry and devastating artillery bombardments. The situation was deteriorating fast for the French, but still they refused to retreat. Eventually, the Viet Minh artillery knocked out the airfield, meaning supplies and reinforcements had to be airdropped in. This need for airdropped supplies coincided with the wild weather of monsoon season, meaning most of the supplies were blown behind Viet Minh lines, gifting them supplies the French desperately needed. These issues were worsened by the Viet Minh's anti-air weapons, something else the French failed to plan for. Just like the artillery, it was deemed impossible for the Viet Minh to set up anti-air batteries around Dien Bien Phu. Hundreds would die as the Viet Minh crashed into heavily fortified French positions. The human wave gradually wore away the French positions. They slowly but surely lost ground being pushed past the by-now-ruined airstrip in April. The end was near. As the battle raged on, the world waited with bated breath. The Americans, having now become interested in the French cause, began planning an intervention. One version of the plan, codenamed Operation Vulture, would see hundreds of fighters and scores of bombers attack the Viet Minh positions. Another, dreamed up by the American Secretary of State, seriously considered dropping a tactical nuclear bomb on Dien Bien Phu. President Eisenhower would veto these more direct interventions, but the US did not sit idly by. They would cover 80% of French war costs at times and provide crucial material support. Yet the French were not the only ones with allies. The Viet Minh's artillery and heavy weaponry was supplied by an eager communist China and the Soviet Union. Soviet-built rocket launchers would play a key part in the final push. The noose was tightening around the French position, choking the desperate and exhausted men. The French would come up for air only after being thoroughly defeated, surrendering on May 7, 1954. The French flag fell and those French soldiers who remained alive were captured. Over 7,000 French troops were captured and 2,000 died. The Viet Minh would suffer 15,000 casualties and 8,000 deaths. The French arrogance in underestimating the will of the Vietnamese would be a mistake soon repeated by the USA. Clear lessons were taught at the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, yet they were not learnt. The world watched on and learned nothing. The Viet Minh were jubilant, having finally thrown off the yoke of their colonial masters and carved out a nation of their own. But their work was far from over. The crushing French defeat saw Vietnam split in two, with the Viet Minh controlling the free north and a puppet state ruling the South. The dream of Vietnamese independence was only partially realised. The solution only ensured future conflict, conflict that would bear marked similarity to the one that had just ceased. French ambitions in the region died alongside its soldiers. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Angus Wilson. Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song when we take a look at the song dubbed The Daddy of Rock and Roll and the band and songwriters behind it. For more episodes and information, you can follow Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com That's nzpodz.com. dot com Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.